I'm on right now. I don't believe you. That's not six. One plus two plus two plus one. You really are crazy. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Me? No, come on. Don't be crazy. Welcome to Don't Be Crazy, a movie podcast where we delve into the world of cinema and explore what makes certain films good or bad. I'm your host, Zach Rancourt, and with me, as always, is Amanda Jane Stern. Hello. Hello. So every week, we analyze and discuss discuss and dissect some of the most popular and critically acclaimed movies of all time. Whether you're a film buff or just a casual moviegoer, our show is sure to provide you with a fresh perspective and thought-provoking insight into the world of cinema. So grab your popcorn, sit back, and join us as we explore the art of filmmaking and discover what truly makes a movie great. All that I ask is don't be crazy. Amanda, how has the week been? How has life been? How has New York been? How has the weather been? All those things. Cold, cold (laughs) and snowy, and I don't like it. I was not. We went straight from, you know, 50 degrees to, oh, 20, but it feels like eight, and I was not prepared. I'm not ready. I'm I'm holed up in my apartment until it warms up again. (laughs) I am hibernating. Snow is great when you're a kid, but when you're yeah. an adult and you have to do adult things, you're just like, I, I really could do without this. It's really damping, or you know, putting a, a damper on my spirits. So It is, yeah. It's just, it, you have to put on snow boots, and I'm just not prepared for it, and I just, I want it to be warmish again. You know, I don't want to be running the heater on 24-7. Yeah, <laughs> and I have a hard time sleeping when it's too hot, so like when it's hot in the house I can't do mm-hmm. that and then same with uh just yeah just warm in general so like I, I don't like running the heater I also have because it gets so dry the humidifier running 24 <laughs> 7 well there you go or else I can't sleep because it gets too dry and I'm like oh no I I feel it my skin gets dry ah <sighs> so much fun right you gotta take those, <laughs> those uppers with those downers <laughs> <laughs> how how you moved how is that uh, yeah, it's good. Um, the just getting used to the house, still not fully moved in, just because that's how those things go. Um, but yeah, it hasn't been too bad. I think just adjusting from busy Seattle life to suburb mm-hmm. life is a lot different. And wow, um, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll get used to it, but it it, it has been an adventure. So <laughs> did you did you grow up in a burb or were you properly in the city? Oh, I grew up in a burb. But okay. city it, city transformed me, and it's really hard to pass up. I love it in the I, city. So born and raised in the city, so I I don't know that I could ever do a burb. Yeah, it's an awkward transitional phase, like going through puberty, puberty or something like that. <laughs> much ah, akin, yes. much the akin <laughs> to this movie we're going to be yep. talking about, actually, and we are going to be discussing Lady Bird from 2017. Uh, directed by Greta Gerwig, written by Greta Gerwig. And I forgot, we're continuing our theme in January of uh, firsts, new mm-hmm. beginnings, that kind of stuff. And this, is, this isn't this is Greta Gerwig's first directorial film. but It's her second. It's her second, but it's her first solo directorial uh, debut. Because It's also her breakout. The first breakout, movie that she yeah. directed was a little indie mm-hmm. about a decade before this. It's not available streaming. It's a very small, you know... Mm-hmm. picture that no one's really heard of whereas this is this is what broke her out this was a big thing yeah absolutely this was uh, a film that really kind of put her on the map mm-hmm. um and yeah it was great so 
Um, anyways, that is what we'll be talking about today. Um, this movie stars Sorshi Ronan, Laurie Metcalf, Tracy Letts, Lucas Hedges, Timothy Chalamet, Beanie Feldstein, who is Jonah Hill's sister. I found that out. I was like, that's awesome. Lois Smith, Stephen McKinley Henderson, and Odea Rush, to name a few. There are I quite think a few. Uh, Sersha. Sersha? Oh. Sersha Ronan, yeah. Oh. I always said Sawashi. Sersha. Sersha Ronan. Anyways, spelled weird. Amazing actor. It's Irish. She's Irish. It's it an is Irish, Irish name. I know. Uh, critically, the film it did really well on IMDb. 7.4 out of 10 on IMDb and a 99% tomato meter. So critics loved this movie. Uh, audience also really enjoyed it, but uh, they were at a 79%, which is fascinating. Um, it was st- It is streaming on Netflix currently. That is where I watched it. I don't own it, but that is where I watched it. And the budget, estimated at $10 million, it on um, opening weekend, November 5th, 2017, it made about $364,000. And then worldwide, it grossed about $79 million. Great. Good for it. All right. Fun facts. Saoirse Ronan had done some stage work before filming this movie, and the heavy makeup combined with hot stage lights had caused some spontaneous acne eruptions. Rather than covering it up, makeup artists Jacqueline Knowlton and Ronan convinced the writer and director Greta Gerwig to leave it visible to differentiate this movie from most other coming-of-age dramas full of teenagers with perfect skin. Gerwig concurred. And that's fascinating, because I did notice that, and I Mm -hmm. thought it was just makeup acne, but did not know it was real. Nope. Breakouts fucking suck. But yeah. also, I guess what? This movie came out a while ago now. And mm-hmm. Sir Sharonin was probably, what, 20 when she did this? Yeah. 21? I think she was like 23 when she did this. 21 okay. or 23. Some, so early 20s. So yeah. probably, yeah, still suffering from the occasional breakout. Still looking young. Mm-hmm. And she's great. I think she's so mm-hmm. beautiful. She's and wonderful. she's such an amazing actor. And yeah, pretty much all of her films that I've seen, she's been excellent in. Oh, she's a super talented actress. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. According to writer and director Greta, Greta Gerwig, the first draft of her script was 350 pages long, which would equate to a movie nearly six hours. Woo! <laughs> Good thing she trimmed that down. <laughs> All of buckets. I don't know that I could have stuck with it for that long. Yeah, that's a that's lot. a lot. She had a lot of ideas going on in her head then. <laughs> Um, although it's never stated to which New York College Ladybird was accepted, it's clear when she gets off the subway at West 4th Street that it is New York University. Yep. Is that true? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. That's that's the college that's right there. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. It worked out really well. This movie takes place from 2002 to 2003, the time when Greta Gerwig graduated from St. Francis Catholic High School in her hometown of Sacramento, California. Gerwig wanted to avoid making a contemporary movie as she didn't feel confident to tell a story revolving around teenagers who are obsessed with their smartphones. And I think that's wonderful. I think that is such a brilliant way to do it because it's a period piece. It really immerses you into a time before, yeah, before we had cell phones where things were slightly different, that awkward transitional phase from the 90s to the the millennium. And Mm -hmm. uh, it was just an odd, odd time that, you know, I grew up, I graduated close to this time. I was in 2005 and, you know, you were in elementary or middle school during this middle, time? middle school. Yeah, yeah so- I was in high school during the transition to smartphones where, you know, half of us still didn't have them. We still mm-hmm. had razors, but the <laughs> iPhone, oh, the yeah. iPhone came out when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. So you could kind of slowly start to see the transition, but we didn't use them the way we do today because we didn't really know what they were. 
Yeah. You know, we were still used to our T9 texting on our on our Razor phones and our Nokia flips. Oh, man. Take me back in the time machine there. Oh, those Nokia flips. <laughs> those don't. are so those great. Those were so bad. They oh, I love them. They butt dial all the fucking time. Yeah, that was true. Butt dialing was, was actually really huge back then. I remember uh-huh. that. Oh, yeah. I didn't get a phone until I was 16 years old. I got my first phone in fifth grade, but that's because I'm in New York City. Um, and also it was my mom had traded in her phone and they're just Uh-oh. like, well, for free, you could just put another number on your plan. Mm-hmm. And so she gave me her old Nokia. That makes sense. Um, and so I got that and I had that for a few years. It was one of the, it had, you know, it had a green screen. It had one game on it. It was terrible T9 texting. Um, <laughs> but because of that, I got grandfathered in with my mom to one of those old AT&T unlimited plans that oh, don't wow. exist anymore. Yeah. So we are still on the same phone line because if I leave it, she will lose the plan. So she's just like, never leave it. You know, I, I will pay the like, literal $10 that it costs to keep you on this plan so that <laughs> we can keep this without ever having to change it. <laughs> oh, man. I'm jealous. I, yeah. I love that. It's yeah. such an old plan. <laughs> I remember having, you know, when you call friends or your your high school crush, it's like, hey, I'll call you after 8 p.m. because then it's free. You know, like minutes are free after 8. And same thing with texts. Like, yep. you know, that was like a 25-cent text you just sent me. Oh, so. God. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And you, you were always warned, don't open the internet button on mm-hmm. that phone because mm-hmm. that is going to cost so much. Oh, man. And I remember if I'd accidentally click it, I'd think, oh, no, now my mom's phone bill is going to be astronomical. And now we have computers in our pockets. And, yep. and we're, you know, we, we, we freak out if we don't have the highest speed. Oh, my God. <laughs> a la I know. me. I freak out all the time with that. Oh, I do so. too. And then I, I have to sit back and remember to myself, like, hey, your internet was shit when you were a kid. When you were a teenager, the internet was still shit. I remember being on my laptop and hitting refresh like 30 times. Come on, go, 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 go. And now <laughs> if it takes, you know, even five seconds, I'm like, what's taking so long? Yeah, I get pretty upset with it too. <laughs> okay, well, let's go back in time with a, a spoiler-filled synopsis. If you have not seen Lady Bird, uh, go ahead and jump ahead five minutes. In fall 2002, Christine McPherson is a senior at the Immaculate Heart of Mary Catholic High School in Sacramento, California. She gives herself the nickname Ladybird. Despite her family's financial struggles, she longs to attend a prestigious college in a city with culture somewhere on the East Coast. Her mother, Marion, does not believe Christine's dreams are possible and tells her that she is ungrateful for what she has. An argument between them prompts Christine to jump from a moving car, breaking her arm. Wonderful opening, by the way. <laughs> Christine and her best friend, Julie, join their school's theater program, where Christine begins dating Danny, who attends the adjacent school for boys. Christine spends her last Thanksgiving before graduation with Danny's wealthy family instead of her own, much to the disappointment of Marion. After the opening night of the school production of Merrily We Roll Along, Christine catches Danny kissing a boy in a bathroom stall and breaks up with him. At Marion's behest, Christine begins working at a coffee shop where she meets Kyle, a popular student at the school for boys. Christine abandons tryouts for the new school play to bond with Jenna Walton, another popular student, and they vandalize a nun's car. As she grows closer to Kyle and Jenna, Christine begins spending less time with Julie and drops out of the theater program. She consoles Danny one day when he tearfully expresses his fear of coming out, and they become friends again. At a house party, Christine and Kyle kiss, and they both confess that they are virgins. After Christine is suspended from school for mouthing off to a guest speaker at an anti-abortion assembly, Jenna tries to visit her, uh, consequently discovering that Christine has claimed Danny's grandmother's house as her own to impress her. 
Jenna agrees to forgive her for the lie because of their mutual friendship with Kyle, but their friendship becomes strained. After they have sex for the first time, Kyle reveals he is not a virgin after all, upsetting Christine and prompting her to seek comfort from her mother. Christine learns that her father, Larry, had lost his job and had been battling depression for years. Despite Marion's insistence uh, that their family cannot afford the fees, Christine secretly applies to the East Coast colleges with her father's help. She is accepted into UC Davis, but feels it is too close to home. She later learns she is on the wait list for a university in New York City, but does not share the news with Marion. Christine sets out for the prom with Kyle, Jenna, and Jenna's boyfriend, but the latter three decide to go to a house party instead. Christine initially agrees, but then asks them to drop her off at Julie's, where the two rekindle their friendship and go to prom together. After graduation, Danny accidentally mentions the waitlist in front of Marion, who stops speaking to Christine for the rest of the summer. Christine gets accepted to the university, and her parents take her to the airport, but Marion refuses to go inside to say goodbye. Marion begins crying while leaving the airport and drives back, only to discover that Christine has already gone through security. She cries in Larry's arms, and he consoles her. After arriving in New York, Christine finds several letters addressed to her in her luggage. The letters were written and initially discarded by her mother, but secretly collected and passed along by her father. She begins using her given name and is hospitalized after drinking heavily at a party. Leaving the hospital, she visits a Presbyterian church service and is moved to tears. She calls home and leaves an apologetic voicemail for her mother, thanking her for everything she has done for her. Ladybird. Oh, boy. Amanda, is this your first time seeing Lady Bird? No, of course not. <laughs> I figured. I figured as much, but I figured I'd ask because... Yeah, it's been a while. I saw it when it when it came out, um, and I haven't watched it since. Oh, okay. So twice? You've seen this twice now, basically? Yes. Cool. What about you? I, I think this is my third time watching this movie because, yeah, I saw it when it came out, watched it again on a whim, and this is my third time, and I absolutely love this movie. It's, um, it's yeah. great. Um, I know we've discussed in the past like movies that are amazing, but I don't know I can really watch again. This is one of those that's a little bit of a hard watch for me. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I'm fascinated by that. Um, no, now, I know you live in New York, and I think New York is one of the coolest cities in the world. Um, also, from a film standpoint, one of the coolest cities to film from. Anytime there's a movie that focuses on New York or that's based in New York, that in itself becomes a character in the film. Mm -hmm. And and time and time again, we've seen films shot on location to emphasize the importance of that city. And so things like LA, Chicago, New York, they really take on a character in the film and it really adds something. They have personalities. Absolutely. And that could be said with this film, with Sacramento. So I guess, how does the setting of Sacramento influence Lady Bird's character and just the overall tone of the film? Well, I think it's this weird, like, so you're right. As you said, I'm from New York. I have not been to Sacramento. So from here, when you think about it, you think, oh, California. So it must be, you know, you kind of think, oh, it's maybe like, what, San Francisco? Is it like that? It's kind of like a cool little artsy city, you know? And then you realize, as Lady Bird says, it's like the Midwest of California. It's this kind of weird sprawling suburb that has these different neighborhoods. She's literally on the wrong side of the track. So it's yeah. got this this <laughs> wide class divide. Um you know, and it's it's very like you're near a city, you're near where you think culture is. And I completely understand a teenager growing up and, and saying, I want to be where culture is. Mm -hmm. Because when you are from a suburb, and that is a white suburb from what I can see on that screen, yeah. and I don't know the actual demographics of Sacramento, but I imagine at a private Catholic school, like where she's going, and with that level of wealth, she is probably around just a whole bunch of white people. 
mm-hmm. white Catholic people, which is not a diverse group. You know, that's that's very that's one thing. So I completely understand that. Like, I want to be somewhere where it's not just the rich people and then me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, according to uh, Google, the demographics for Sacramento, 40, 41% white, uh, 19% Asian, 13% black or African-American, and then 12% other. So More yeah. diverse than I would have expected, actually. But but predominantly white, like like yeah. you're saying. And I think her, her description of the Midwest of California is is so spot on. I've never been to Sacramento, yeah. but it, it, it feels like that. And there's so many amazing tracking shots and just... Uh, B-roll footage, basically, uh, of the town of Sacramento that that serves as, as a love letter to it, in my opinion, um, that really kind of give you a sense of of what the town is like, mm-hmm. and 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 I love that. And I mean, that's obviously done in New York all the time. I think of Succession as a prime example of New York um, for just how gigantic the buildings are, how oh God, how yeah. hard that industry is, and like and and I love that shit. Anytime a film is in New York, and it's just it. It just shows you how vast that city is, but you still can't even fathom how big it is. On the opposite of that, when things are set in New York and you can tell they did not film in New York, it is very (laughs) glaring because you're just like, hey, there's no street that looks like that. There's no neighborhood that looks like that. That is not Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Um, That's not Midtown. There's like palm trees there. (laughs) It's like, wait, you're running on cobblestone, but you're supposed to be in Midtown? No, 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 no. We do have cobblestone, not Midtown. So a lot of films are filmed. Um, they don't really film that many movies in Seattle or TV shows in Seattle. They're trying to. I think it's just expensive to shoot here. Mm-hmm. So, but a lot of people go up to Vancouver, Canada. Yep. Tax. Um, Better yep. tax breaks. Exactly. And the funny thing is we're, we're kind of like sister cities because we have so many similarities. Yeah. And, and so like The Last of Us Part Two, there it takes place in Seattle, the video game, but they're filming it up in Vancouver. And they built a full-on stadium for uh, what we have, Lumen Field, and it's just—it's crazy to see. But, but yeah, you—you you can definitely pick up things like I don't, I've never seen that in Seattle before. <laughs> like, yeah, we don't have palm trees, but <laughs> it's yeah. um, it's excellent. I, and I do think because in this film, you know, she—it it really is about kind of this, like I said, this love letter to her hometown, and. I mean, in her essay, she talks about leaving Sacramento and the the sister tells her, like, this is this is your way of, of saying how much you love this city, even though she was basically talking shit about it. But it's in those details, right? Mm-hmm. All the all the attention she gives to it. And she delivers that poignant line. You know, love is really attention, basically. Um, and I loved that so much. And that really I, I never realized that until this viewing that she said that and like what it fully meant. But yeah, I mean. We, we can sit there and pretend like we, we hate our hometown or we hate these types of things, but really it's that care. And, and I think it's, it's so wonderfully done when she's driving at the end mm-hmm. of the film and she tells her mom on the voicemail, you know, I drove for the first time by myself and I just kind of like looked out over the, the city um, and they, they kind of juxtaposed her mom in there too, doing the exact same thing. And that was really cool to think about because I think about my hometown and I like never want to go back. But at the same time, you go there and there's there's beauty in it too, right? Like you have disdain for something, but you really care for it so much because of all the attention that you've given. And I thought that was was great. Right. Right. So. Whereas like, okay, my dad is from a hometown that um, – he's from a burb. My cousins are from the same suburb. They really dislike the suburb and I don't blame them at all. It really is the kind of thing that it's like, why am I here? Yeah, it's hard. It's not great. Yeah. And, and they don't even like – 
they don't want to go back and visit it because there's legitimately nothing there. It is not yeah. a great suburb. Um, my grandparents still live there, unfortunately. We've been trying to convince them to move for years because nobody <laughs> else lives there. It's, uh, they're so stubborn and they need to get out of that stupid house. in eight Like there's no train line. There's no bus. It's really hard to get to. Mm. It's the kind of like claustrophobic suburb that is – to me, the epitome of the horror of the suburbs. And I always said, you know, like Mount Vernon was was a great place to grow up. Um, I never want to live there. Mm-hmm. And, and so I felt Lady Bird when she was like, I want to get out of here because it's only th- if UC Davis is 30 minutes away. So you're not really leaving home, you know? I get that. I mean, even for me, growing up in the city, going to college, I knew I did not want to be in college in the city. Even mm-hmm. if it was an entirely different neighborhood than where I grew up, it was still... I could conceivably walk into my parents one day, and I did not want to do that. Yeah, exactly. You know? It's your chance. I mean, it's it's her chance to to be an adult, to to mm-hmm. explore, to try new things. And I mean, this movie's about her exploration in general, and we hit all of those beats right that are are authentic. And and I mean, that's the one word I think about with this movie is it just felt authentic in the portrayal mm-hmm. of its of adolescence. Yeah, because she doesn't always. She's not too precocious a character the Mm. way sometimes we see teens who like talk like they are you know 30 something year olds like she's smart yeah i would not say she is an idiot but she she talks like a teenager you know she's selfish she doesn't always vocalize things in the right way because she doesn't have the wherewithal to do that yet and you and she develops as the movie goes you see her learning Mm -hmm. but she is still very much a kid and i appreciate that that she's not like Oh, why is this this seventeen year old acting so mature and not like a teenager trying to act mature, which she definitely does, but like an actual adult? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And so I think the core of the story of of Lady Bird, uh, it focuses on that kind of love hate relationship of Mary and her mother and Lady Bird herself. Um, how does this relationship evolve throughout the film? I would not call this a love-hate relationship. I would call this a toxic, abusive cycle. Hmm. And I – so, okay. I, I've i done – I did a lot of digging in this to see where other people stood. And it seems to me that people are in one of two camps on this. And it depends on what you have experienced. If you have personal experience with growing up with a narcissistic parent around that kind of narcissistic abuse, you immediately clock this Mm -hmm. as a toxic cycle of abuse. If you didn't, you're just like, oh, she's just a hard mother. She's not. She's a bitch. Fuck that cunt. Um, Excuse (laughs) me. Yes, she suffered abuse at the hands of her own mother who was an alcoholic narcissist. But... She's doing that to her own daughter. It's a different way, but she has internalized all of that. And instead of – she's not hard on Lady Bird. She's nasty to her. She takes every chance she can to undermine her. Yes, everyone gets frustrated every once in a while and snaps, but she takes every moment she can to say, oh, well, you'd look better in that dress if you hadn't eaten because now you're fat. You know, you are worthless. You're not, you know, you're not smart enough. Why do you even bother? You're yeah. never going to amount to anything. That's not being hard. Oh, being terrible. hard on your child is saying, hey, you know, your grades are kind of slipping, so let's focus on um, tutoring or spending more work on this instead of this. Um, you need to learn responsibility, so we're going to get together and get you an after school or a summer job. That's being 
you know, that's parenting and that's being a little tough love, you know. Oh, well, you went out partying too much. Okay, so now I'm going to punish you by by doing something. That's tough love. Constantly undermining and belittling your child to ruin their sense of self, that's abuse. Yeah. It's narcissistic abuse. It's exactly what this mother does. And and I, I think what's interesting is to watch it is because what Marion has gone through does not absolve her of all the things she does to Ladybird. And any time that Ladybird tries to assert her own individuality, calling herself Ladybird, wanting to go to New York, it's like an affront to Marion. How dare she? She is a failed extension of myself, mm-hmm. which is how Marion's mother viewed her. Um, and so I, I did do a bunch of research and everyone who like, and there are actually Reddit boards about how this movie, like trigger warnings for this movie that are like, oh, did you grow up with a narcissistic parent? This movie is going to potentially trigger you. And then I found a couple of psychotherapists talk about, yeah, this is, this is classic signs of abuse. That's what's going on in this movie. This is not a love hate relationship because at the end of the day, one person in this relationship is a child. Right. Yes, the child acts like a selfish teenager, but the mother acts worse because that is not equal footing. One person is learning their way in the world and the other one should be setting a good example. And instead, they are setting their child up for years of trauma. And what I think happen will happen at the end of this, you know, five years down the line is Lady Bird's in New York now. She's at NYU. She is going to meet people. And people, here's the thing, people in New York talk about that shit. You know, I I know narcissistic parents. I grew up around that kind of, like, seeing that kind of abuse. And, and but people in New York go to therapy. She's going to end up in therapy, realize that what was going on with her mother was not normal. And that's going to be a no-contact relationship or a very low-contact relationship where Lady Bird sets all the boundaries of this is when I can deal with my mother, this is when I can't, here's how I shut her down when she starts belittling and berating me. That's where that relationship's going because that is what Marion does. It's not love-hate, it's abuse. And I, I think it's hard to be a parent um, in general, uh, and I can't imagine you know, raising a teenage daughter, especially under their circumstances with a husband who's about to lose his job, um, you know, a, a live-in stepdaughter, basically, for your son. And and I can't imagine what goes on. I know this is just a snippet of their life, and it's dramatized, obviously. Yeah, Marion's uh, an ill-equipped mother. She's, uh, she should not be a parent. I just, I don't know if I agree with that. Um, and I think that Part of it, so she, so Greta Gerwig wrote this based off of her mom, and I don't know how much truth was in there. Like, if that was kind of how her mom was. Her mom was a nurse, but I, I, no, I, I don't know. No, I looked into this. Yeah, I, I did look say, into I, this, and she said, this is not like, yeah. her mom was not like this at all. Yeah. And, and I see, I, I agree with you that there are things, I mean, that generational trauma, right? Like, my mother was an alcoholic. Well, that doesn't mean that you need to pass it down to me or be abusive. And, and, and she wasn't hitting her or anything, but the emotional abuse was terrible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, that emotional trauma that is going to stay with Lady Bird absolutely. because that's not how you talk to someone. It's not how you talk to your child. And she doesn't do it to her son. And it's ironic that she works in the mental health profession. Like, you'd think she'd be able to acknowledge wait, I'm doing this to my kid, but there is a level of disconnect that she is suffering from that she cannot take a step back and look. I mean, she gives her child the silent treatment for weeks. That is not an emotionally adult response. That is what a child does. That's how a child lashes out. A parent saying, well, I'm mad at you, so I'm going to completely ignore your existence. 
when Ladybird is begging her and and literally like flagellating herself, I'm a bad person, I suck. No, you don't. You're a kid and you're trying to find your way in the world and your mom is making it really difficult for you because she has consistently said, you suck. That's horrible parenting. It's not parenting. I just, I mean, I think I want to give some parents benefit of the doubt. It's kids are, kids are hard. And especially when they get to that age though, I mean, I know it with my girlfriend's daughter that she's only eight. So we give her a lot of leeway, but there are times when she tests Candace quite a bit and it's, and I have to, I'm like, I have to kind of step in. I'm like, are you okay? It's, kids are, yeah, kids are tough, but this isn't the occasional outburst. This is every single conversation they have. There, no wonder Lady Bird does not want to spend Thanksgiving with them because she knows being around her mother is a ticking time bomb. One wrong word will turn into a barrage of, well, you're just a loser. Why do you suck so much? I can't believe you're my child. How dare you? you you're stupid. You're going to amount to nothing in your life. And the fact that that is every single day, there's no scene between the two of them that doesn't end with Marion berating Lady Bird over nothing. See, I didn't see it that way. That's interesting because I saw the, these moments, yeah, that that show Marion being this not Horrible. nice person. Um, but I don't think that she's a bad mother from that, or at least I didn't take that away. I mean, I, I kind of tied it into the theme of what I thought the movie was about was that love. It's it's not very pretty or perfect by any stretch, but it does persevere. And Marion obviously was affected by Lady Bird's choices and the stressors in her life. And and I'm not saying I'm not justifying her actions or what she said to Lady Bird. Like I, I agree with you that that was completely uncalled for and, and terrible. Um, I just think that the entire film, I mean, they, they'd go back and forth with their volleys too. Like Lady Bird maybe could could have said things differently to her mother. And, oh, and it's I, not the same. Well, that's and I, not the same. I, but I give her I give her a little leeway because she's younger and she's a child. But I think it's it's just it's tough. And but she's never as mean as Marion. Yeah, I mean, I, one I, of the one of the biggest scenes to point out is when she's prom dress shopping. She finds a dress that she loves. Yes, that was a bad and, scene. And her mom is just like, it's too pink. And she goes, can you at least say something nice to me? Mm-hmm. And then she says, do you even like me? And her mom goes, well, of course I love you, which sure, she does as a parent. But it's not a like healthy her? form. But yeah. do you like me? And she can't answer that. That is a very unhealthy relationship. And if you saw, if you took away the the element of this being a parent and a child and you had the way Marion speaks to Lady Bird in a romantic relationship, you would say run for the hills. Yeah, but I think, uh, but again, back to the exactly. parent thing, it's the love will persevere and and all of life's little tiffs just are eventually meaningless when when you're a parent. But, but I do know like I was an asshole to my dad and he still cared about me, but he didn't like tear me down or anything. But there it's, it's, it's hard. I've had friends with grown up kids that, you know, they're just like, yeah, that's my my child, even though they're a fuck up and and whatever. Um, I'm again not justifying necessarily saying those things. Like it was pretty that was a pretty terrible scene, like for what she was saying. And you wanted Marion to just give her some consolation or, or something or some comfort, but she No, what just... Marion needs is to go to therapy herself and deal with the actual trauma of growing up with her mom and then realize that sure. what she is doing is pushing her daughter away. And as I said, that this you're in one of two camps and it's because of your own upbringing and what mm-hmm. you've experienced. And so if you have experience with this, you see the signs here. Oh, totally. And and I, I, I'm glad that people recognize that this could be a trigger warning for, for folks watching this movie. 
Um, I hope that doesn't shy them away from it too much. I think it's a but. great movie, and I'm actually glad that we did not end up recording this right after I had watched it because I was I <laughs> was heated. coming in really heated because it was triggering to me, and mm-hmm. I remembered that going in. Um, you know, I, I I like I remembered feeling that way the first time, which is why I haven't watched it again. Yeah, uh, just because it's 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 a lot to deal with, and it's not always the thing that I want to deal with. <laughs> I know it's not my favorite either. I I don't I wouldn't want to go into something just pissed off and like whatever, unless it was like it's a fun I, a fun yeah. pissed off, you know. Yeah, I mean it, it. It's and I I don't think and I think it's okay that Marion doesn't get any sort of redemption at the end because for her to get any, she needs. A, such a serious come to Jesus moment that watching her unpack all her own trauma could be an entire mini series on its own. And it could be something that she never gets through mm-hmm. because whew, there's a lot going on in that lady's head. <laughs> so let's move on. So the film explores the themes of identity and self discovery. Um, how does Lady Bird's journey of self discovery resonate with you, and why is this important? I mean, we were all stupid teenagers, weren't we? I was especially a the, Tim- the Timothy Chalamet. You know, oh, I don't believe in the economy. I'm, I'm in a barter system, and oh, meanwhile, you know, he's feeding into all of this. He he, he was rich. wonderful. And he's rich. E- exactly. He's he such was such a real little douche. So wonderful. He reminds me of the kid in eighth grade um, that she has a crush on, and you know, he, he's like, I wish a school shooter would come here. He's like, I break his fucking nose or something like that. Like just a little punk. Yeah. And that's what Timothy Chalamet was in this. He's. He's a liar. He's deceitful. He's he's a piece of shit, and I, I loved it. You know, his, oh my god, his he literally brooding... says to her, "I have never had sex before." Yeah, and then yeah. they do, and he goes, "I never said that." Yeah, you did. Like, I, I can rewind. I can rewind this movie and see when you said that. It, it was like five or six. She's like, "You don't even know how many people you had sex yeah. with." <laughs> Why should I know? Because like, you're in high school. Like that's was, a lot in high school. I was on top for the first time. Like <laughs> he he's he's such a piece of shit, but Oh god, I, he's such a piece of shit. The the self-identity was I thought it was so wonderful and that's why I I thought this movie was was excellent just because of how authentic it was and and relatable because we've all had those senses of exploration of identity you know, Ladybird being like, I want to be called Ladybird and I'm going to try out for the school musical. Then I'm going to try to make new friends. Then I'm going to try to do this. And you have to shift that paradigm that you have in your life, especially in your early years. Um, and like, we all did that. We all went through quote unquote phases. Um, I didn't really have an emo phase, but I listened to a lot of emo music and it was, it was all just kind of, you know, I had a country phase, you know, which was crazy because I don't like country music now at all. Um, but I was trying to explore my identity and I think that's why this movie resonated so well with me. Did you have really awkward phases in high school? Do you have um, like a special really awkward one? Cause I have a special one. Uh, not particularly. I, I think I was just always trying to figure out what crowd I belonged in and now I don't really give a shit. I mean, I still care about what people think about me. It's, it's mm-hmm. weird to, I don't, I don't agree when people say I don't care what people think about me. Cause that's a very Timothy Chalamet thing to, to yep. say. Like, of course you care. Otherwise, you know, you wouldn't wear clothes every day. And so I, I mean, I tried as hard as I could to get people to care about me. But then obviously as I got older, I was like, oh, whatever. I got my own thing going on and I'm very happy with where I am now. But yeah, I think like I was definitely trying, I know in eighth grade to do like the Abercrombie stuff. So I was trying to do Abercrombie and Fitch and I like did my hair a certain way, wore a puka shell necklace. That stuff Um, was so expensive. It was. And I had, I had two shirts and I wore those shirts Mm -hmm. on rotation. So that was. I had two shirts as well. Yeah. They were just so pricey. 
It was but, so pricey. My parents couldn't afford those. <laughs> no. Um, I didn't I didn't really have a phase though, other than just kind of sports jock going through my normal stuff, but it's because mm-hmm. I like sports. So my phase was um I dressed like a like a World War II era pinup girl every single day of high school. That's right. I remember you mm-hmm. telling me that. That's yep. so funny. Saluting yep. everybody. <laughs> yep. Really, God. really, really appropriate. <laughs> That's just like how long did it take you to get ready in the mornings? Honestly, I perfected the cat eye in five minutes. And mm. I can still do a cat eye real quick. What's a cat eye? Eyeshadow? Uh, the no, no, no. The winged eyeliner where it comes oh. out at the yeah. I would do liquid liner and mascara, and obviously way too much mascara because I was a teenager <laughs> and I didn't know how to do my eyebrows, so I did not do my eyebrows. I'm like, you know. But also, I only did eye makeup. I didn't do like blush or foundation or mm-hmm. anything else. So it was just mascara and liquid eyeliner. What did you wear? Like, uh, like did, did your outfit take a long time to put on? Or uh, No, it was all about things that were either vintage or retro. Cool. Um, it, and you could do a lot of vintage and thrifting in New York. Um, so it was a lot of cinched waists and very like accentuate the hourglass figure. I wore a lot of pencil skirts. Um, mm-hmm. I always wore heels. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know what scene I really loved in this movie that kind of reminds me? So, so I'll back up a little bit. So, Gen Zs I think have excellent style, in my opinion. Even though it's coming back around to stuff that we used to wear, like corduroys and cargo pants are back in now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's that part of me that's kicking me. I'm like, damn it, why did I donate those clothes ten years ago that are now back in style? I know I have um, some new like cargo pants. <laughs> yeah, and and honestly, I'm glad that they're because it's it's cool for these for these kids to find their identity. Um, albeit it's it's a lot more fast forwarded than than we had it. But I'm um, gonna give them a heads up, kids. The the low rise jeans. No, no, yeah, no, 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 no. Please, no. They're never good on anybody. No, and I remember men. We had low rise jeans too, and I was just like, these are weird. Like, I yeah. do love that Gen Z has embraced more body diversity than mm-hmm. than our generation did because we grew up at the height of like women who were size zeros and twos oh, yeah. getting fat shamed. And I grew up with so much of that. Like there's still times I'll look in the mirror and I am a small person and think, well, I'm not like skinny enough. And and I have to unpack so much of that. Mm-hmm. And like with the guys, I'll just tell you, it's hard because you're like, wait, so you don't need a six pack or yes, you do need a big six pack. And then it's like, no, but dad bods are the thing, but like mm-hmm. a certain type of dad bod. And so you're like, wait, what the fuck am I supposed to be like? So oh my God. I, I've never been in, actually, I've always been a fan of the like, bring movie stars back the way you, they used to be like in the seventies <laughs> when they were just kind of normal looking yeah. and, and a little hairier and just, and sweaty. And that was so much sexier. Yeah. Make movies sweaty again. There you go. Please. Hashtag. Speaking of movies and things, this, um, I, I just wanted to shout out Oh, gorgeous. I looked up what they shot on because I was like, I know a trick to make something look like film or they shot on film and said they wanted to shoot on film, but it's so expensive. So they shot on an Aria Alexa mini Mm. and then color graded it to look like film. And I go, yep, that's exactly what we did on my feature as well. We we shot Aria Alexa mini, used vintage lenses and then color graded it to have film grain because it's it looks so good. Yeah, it really does, and it, it was it was filmed wonderfully. It was beautiful, gorgeous. Um, I I mean that's that's what was so great about filming Sacramento and just showing it. Sam Levy uh, was the DP on this one, and he, he did such a great job um, with it to give it's that beautiful. kind of real, yeah. yeah, that real kind of feel. 
Um, and I think, so what, what I was saying about Gen Z, so I like that their style is, is, is excellent. They have a good, um, they're all fashion forward for, in my opinion, and like, I can't even keep up anymore with the trends, but it is really great that they will, will do things like go to thrift stores or find hand-me-down stuff. So, you know, you're also not buying fast fashion where you're mm -hmm. just throwing it away. Um, but the scene in Ladybird that I thought just really hit was when her and Marion are arguing about something, you know, dragging your feet. It's so mm -hmm. trivial if you think about it. But at the same time, I understand the argument why Ladybird is pissed. But then as soon as they find a dress, they both just stop what they're arguing about. And they're like, ooh, that's cute. That's that very quick transition of are you and then just, ooh, I like that. And I think for me, that's what it kind of came down to where we've had this discussion before on the show about family. Um, I believe in like chosen family, not your given family. I do but, too, very strongly. But yeah, but like at the same time, you know, there are times when when I was with my parents, right, and I'd be pissed at them. But if, if something came together, like a moment, like we found an outfit that I liked to be like, oh, you know, like collectively, oh, no, that's we very put aside real, those yeah. things and we're just like, we're whole. It comes back to love. And But when I you're around your great. family, do you feel like you're walking on eggshells that yes. any moment could be a horrible... Oh, oh, sure. I mean, I don't know about horrible now, but yes, like it definitely, especially my, um, my, I guess, outer family, my extended family. Yes, I would, I would say so for sure. But, I mean, your parents, extended family is, is a different story. Yeah. You choose when to see them and when not to. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, come in for a, a donut and some coffee and then, then you're out for the holidays. So. Oh, yeah, we all have the family that were like, okay, we're seeing them. Here's our plan of attack, and here's how we can get out. <laughs> so we talked about the film grade and and just how this film has this nostalgic and kind of reflective tone spread throughout. It's pretty nicely, tightly 93-minute runtime, which was a, a pleasant surprise when I started it because I was like, so oh, nice. shit, love it. So how does the use of time and memory contribute to the storytelling for Lady Bird? Look, it flows. It moves really nicely. You're right. It's not like, oh, dear God, this is a long movie. Um, I think part of what gives it the nostalgia feeling is also the way they shot it and giving mm -hmm. it the film grading that really helps set the period piece. I'm, not that it's, a, oh, God, that's over 20 years ago now. Shit. Okay. It, it is um, a period. I, I think it is a period piece because oh, it, it takes is, place yeah. Yeah, specifically during a, a time and, and that's that's a factor into this. But yeah. I was going like, to say it's not that long ago a period piece. <laughs> and then I realized that we're like, at the over two decade mark now. 22 years. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. Oh, my back. My back just gave out. <laughs> 22 years. <laughs> I know I had a moment the other day where my fiance brought something up and he was like, oh, well, blah, 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 in 20 years. And I thought, oh, yeah, in 20 years when we're in our 40s. And then I realized, no, <laughs> 50s. Oh, yep. boy. <laughs> So apparently Greta, she spoke with um, Sam Levy and said she wanted this to f to be shot like a memory, basically, mm -hmm. the movie. And so they put a bunch of pictures up in uh, the production room and stuff just to kind of give this idea that this is a memory. And especially with the transitions and, and, and the cuts that they do in this, I, it does feel like that where it jumps around. Um, but it's not hard to follow. So no, much akin, much akin to a memory where you're like, I remember bits and pieces of this, but not the entirety of it. And I think it serves the movie so well. It's because there's not, it doesn't feel like there's any wasted time. So the pacing is is wonderful in this. Um, and, and you really get those senses, you know, like I think one of my favorite aspects of this is her relationship with Julie. She just mm -hmm. has that friend, that that ride or die friend, you know, who they can dance together, laugh together and, and just not have a care in the world. And, you know, it's the yin to the yang. So... I, I think that was was so well done. 
and that we all have those friends, or I hope that we all have those friends that we remember that were like peanut, my peanut butter to my jelly. So yeah, um, I, I I think that the way the film posed that uh, was 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 great, and I like that she came back around to it. Oh yeah, yeah, they they go through their ups and downs, and Ladybird grows and realizes that she's been a shit friend, and that's that is what makes her a good character. Is that she? Yes, she's flawed, but she also learns from things. Mm-hmm. You know, I will say there is one character who actually sees my point in the movie about Marion. Danny, he calls it out every time. He's like, she's really hard on you in a way that's not yeah. normal. Yeah. He says, like, there's nothing warm about her. She's really mean to you. And and Ladybird's like, no, she just loves me a lot. He's like, no, lot, yeah. she's really like, this is not a normal level of mean. Mm-hmm. This isn't tough love. This is this is really mean. I don't know why she's this hard on you. It doesn't make sense. And he's right. He sees it from the outside and he's like, Yeah, you screw up, but not your screw ups are not on par with her reactions. Right. Yeah, he's he nailed it too. Mm-hmm. And retrospectively, yeah, thinking about that, you're right. Um, I think again, I'll, I will defend Marion a little bit. I know at the nope. end when she has the the crying, you know, the airport Good. scene when she comes Feel around. It. Yeah, but I mean, I think for me, I believe you know, in second chances and stuff. And I think she's just wanted to say so much to her daughter. But and, and she doesn't. She doesn't no, even I, send those. Well, letters. I know, but I know, but she's, but it's it's hard. She's trying, and 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 like her dad said, she's you not know, trying though. Well, I. I yeah. don't not believe in second chances. I believe you need to work for the second chance. Right. It is her job to get the second. And look, Lady Bird is not at the point where she's totally cutting her mom off because she's still a kid and, and she still needs her mother. But I do think that if Marion does not actually try to make big changes now that Lady Bird is completely out of the house and on her own, she will hit that point. It, that is what will happen. I have seen that. I know people sure. in that who have experienced that, you know, very personally. I have watched that happen. So I'm not like speaking from nowhere. I, I know multiple people who have gone through that kind of relationship. I mean, it very well could be Marion is upset at herself for how she's treating her. And it's then it becomes this sure. spiral where she continues to you know, treat Lady Bird like shit because she doesn't know how to get herself out of it, but she really wants to. But and, that, and I think it, it's day, a little that's too late. Her, yeah, to, and, to do. Oh, totally. And that's why I think you know I'm thinking of like the airport scene when she runs and cries because she's too late. I think that's her. It, yeah, that's that, like, this that, was that's, on. That's you. her missed. That's her missed opportunity. Exactly. That's her missed opportunity. And yes, she loves her daughter. She did it. She went about it in in the worst possible way. Um, but that was her chance to to make amends and she still she dropped the ball. Lady Bird has um, consistently extended an olive branch mm-hmm. and Marion cannot even meet it a quarter of the way. Yeah. And you can And eventually Lady Bird will stop extending olive branches mm-hmm. because she's going to have to learn to love herself and part of that is realizing that the way her mom treated her is not actually about her. Mm-hmm. But it's about Marion's own issues and that's really hard to accept and sometimes even with family, like they're never going to show love for you the way you need them to because they are not equipped to do that and Marion isn't. There's a lot she has to work through and that's going to be a really hard thing for Lady Bird to accept and to realize, wait, no, when Danny pointed all that out, he he was right. Mm-hmm. And this is my PSA for, hey, if you grow up in that kind of situation, just because they're your family doesn't mean they deserve your forgiveness or your time and attention. You need to do what's right for you. And sometimes your chosen family is much more a real family to you than blood. Yeah. That is my PSI. Please take care of yourself because that's what matters. There you go. 
So this is a this is definitely a coming of age film, and and movies like Lady Bird and Eighth Grade are reminders uh, are just remarkable uh, coming of age movies in my opinion. I, I love watching those films, and they really just hit. Um, but the weird, I mean, okay, so I, I say that right, and and they resonate with me. But that's just the thing is they're movies, and I have to remember that that they're movies, and this isn't exactly real life. Sure, there's little bits and pieces. Um, that could be pulled from it, that could be real, but at the end of the day, they're movies. So does this mean it discredits the message that it's trying to say? No, not at all. I think that that's what makes it so important. I mean, that's why we have art and coming-of-age pieces, because they emotionally resonate with people, and I think the beauty of things like a movie, a book, a, a piece of work is that you have room to explore things that you don't get to do in real life. And, and that way you actually get to come to terms with things or experience things or have catharsis over certain moments that you didn't get in real life because now you have this, this freedom of being separated by a screen. I think that's actually the beauty of, of something like a movie. Mm -hmm. Does it make us cynical? Like, should we realize even though the film has a specific message, it's actually just still scripted? Was that going to make us cynical? No. Unless it's a shitty script. <laughs> well, I mean, I think when I think of stuff like that, because um, I agree with you, I mean, I, I'll still take any meaning from from this art. Um, I think I get what you mean, that sometimes but, things are too emotionally yeah. manipulative. Or like a, like, a, like, a giant, like a giant discourse that they have, you know, a, a great scene, but you're like, people don't talk like this normal because the things that they're saying aren't heated. There's not a lot of ums and fillers and that and whatever. It, it's just so well done and you're kind of like, does that take away from it at all? I don't think it does. No. Um, but I do think that, you know, with a scripted scene, like in Moonlight, right? Like that movie just hits every time. And I fucking love that movie. But when Sharon gets beat up by the bullies, like that's a really hard scene to watch. But I'm like, I don't think that it would work out like that in real no, life. But I think dialogue is written a certain way to, mm -hmm. to set the mood to prove a point sometimes it's stylized to create an atmosphere that is a little uncanny sometimes writers do write with ums and uhs and stutters sure to make it feel more realistic i think it, it really only matters when you're talking about something that is and yes everything that is a piece wants you to feel something so everything has some degree of emotional manipulation but yeah. there are things that are too emotionally manipulative where, you, where you're just looking at and you're thinking this isn't earned and I can think of the movie P.S. I Love You like that movie is just just serves to emotionally manipulate you yeah. but none of it is earned yeah. that that is an example of like pff, script okie dokie boys but I, I think here like it's it serves a purpose and it's doing something it's not mm -hmm. it is earned you are following characters go on a real journey Mm -hmm. And I don't always want to hear people in a movie talk the way we do in real life because sometimes then a speech that could take five seconds in a movie could take 20 minutes because someone is stuttering and eyeing their way through it. And you know what? That just gets boring. Like, that's okay. There are moments that I am okay cutting. I don't need to watch someone look for parking for 20 minutes. You know why? It's boring. Sure. And it doesn't serve anything other than I'm now watching someone look for parking unless that's actually part of this plot. Mm -hmm. And like giving me character development, but just like, oh, they pulled up to a building and couldn't park in front of it. And now we're watching them 20 minutes. Like, that's OK. Cut those things. Yeah. Do you have some of your uh, favorite coming of age films? Um, I, You know what? We're I know it's on our list. I guess it's our but Fast Times at Richmond High is is a favorite coming of age movie for me. 
it's been a long time since I've seen that, and I only really remember a few scenes. Um, so I'm intrigued uh, on on my rewatch of it for the next episode to see yeah. what that'll be like because I remember I didn't really like it that much. I love Amy Heckerling; I think she's great, but I think she nailed it with Clueless. And I guess Fast Times didn't really hit with me very hard, but it's probably because it came out before I was born or before I was in high school. I also think it's the kind of movie that you go into thinking it's one thing and then realize that it is not what you mm-hmm. thought it was because yeah. you think it's going to be more along the lines of Clueless or kind of a sexy rom-com and it's not. What about you? What's a coming? I, I know you love eighth grade. Okay. Eighth grade is so good. Um, I love Lady Bird. Uh, Stand By Me is excellent. Okay. And I just, I always have loved that film. Moonlight, like I said, mm-hmm. one of my favorites just about exploration and identity and who we are. And it's it's so wonderfully done. Um, Dazed and Confused is always a classic. Dazed and Confused is just a hangout movie. And Linklater is so great at those types of movies. Everybody wants some uh, boyhood. Like he he just he just knows how to hit the the, the ebbs and flows that in, in life. And I love the hell out of those. But yeah, those are those are some good ones that I can think of at least. Um I yeah, I don't know. There there are alternative mm-hmm. uh movies too, but I think they're, they're like masked as different things. Like the Breakfast Club never did it for me. I know a lot of people love Same. Them. Oh God, I, I can't believe I forgot this. Almost Famous. Almost Famous is one of my favorite movies of all time. And it, it's it's backed by amazing needle drops and just fantastic performances left and right. I love Almost Famous. See, there, okay, so there's this um, Dutch movie called Boys. Uh, that's a coming of age movie that mm. I really, really like. It, it was like a Dutch TV movie. It's really cute. Um mm. Yeah, uh, we could cover it in June. It actually, it did pretty well, but no, I I have a list of, I'm just telling you now, I'm taking over June. I am curating Pride Month (laughs) 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 because it's my jam. Um, But no, that's a really cute movie. Um, That's like surprisingly, also really fucking gorgeous shots on that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a bunch. Super Bad to a Degree is a coming-of-age film, and I think that's yeah. more of what I was thinking of, like, alternative. That's not your traditional what you The raunchy sex think. comedy coming-of-age. Yeah. Um, that movie just resonated with me because it's like, that's what you do with your friends, stupid shit, and try to go to parties to get beer, and it's the whole idea of that movie is just about getting alcohol for a party to look cool and uh, all of the the machinations involved in that plan but which we've all tried oh yeah i mean no no never underage drink Mm -hmm, oh always nope but um (laughs) yeah i I know it may not seem like we talked enough about lady bird but i mean it's just it's this movie's so wonderful in my opinion um i absolutely adore it i think greta gerwig is is absolutely fantastic um and so my hot take is there are too many times when Um, Because I I fully support female directors. I fully support just people who are good at their craft. Greta Mm -hmm. Gerwig is fantastic at directing. And she's not pandering to audiences or or to to agendas. She is a fantastic director who happens to be a woman. And she makes a fantastic story, a coming-of-age story, that happens to be about a girl. And, like, that's the way to do it. I mean, it's not just a hey, we're going to redo Ocean's 8 or Ocean's 11 or whatever and it's going to make it gender swap, all female yeah. cast. <sighs> Greta Gerwig is just such a good storyteller and I, I think we, we've we seen that with like Barbie also, right? People went mm-hmm. into that movie with the weirdest expectations of I'm going to dress up in pink. You know, I went to a showing and there were like teenage girls there that were hey, probably I like dressed up. 
14, 15. Yeah, but you understand film more than these 13, 14 year old girls. It's fun to dress up. Sure, absolutely. And I think it was an amazing viral marketing uh, plan. Um, I had the time of my life watching Barbie. I loved that movie. I thought it was so awesome. So much fun. Um, and 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 but she made this film. I was going in. I'm like, this is going to be ridiculous, but I cannot wait to see it. And I was so so happy. I mean, it the was so well done. Production design. Oh, it's gorgeous. <laughs> fucking killer. It's Loved gorgeous. It. Also, can we please bring back just like movies that randomly are also musicals? Like that was a big budget movie musical in in a very kind of old Hollywood way, and I loved that. Yeah. Um. It's people like, you know, like Amelia Blunt, she is incredible and she will be the first one to tell you she wants to eliminate that strong female lead label. Um, yep. she, she's just bored I'm with of it. her on that. She, she wants good actors. And and like that's how it should be is is we shouldn't have to differentiate or. I also I hate that term. I don't want like because we when we say it, we're like, oh, she's like a man or she's really athletic. It's like, no, no, no. I want my leads of any gender I want them to be flawed. I want them to be a mess. I want them to be dealing with shit. Like, I don't want a character who's too perfect and too good at mm-hmm. everything. Just give me a character who is interesting. And that's like, it, it's not a female director, but why I've always liked the way David Lynch approaches male and female characters is that they are all bonkers. Yeah. They all go through shit. They're all weird. They're all messes. No one is like, no one gets traumatized any more than others. It's not like beautiful dead women being staged as gorgeous dead bodies. When people are dead, they're dead. It's not pretty. <laughs> Granted, death in David Lynch things doesn't like mean anything because mm-hmm. people come back all the fucking time. So I'm not even going to count it as like, oh, you killed off a character. Great. But I'm still going to see them. <laughs> so it doesn't, it doesn't have the same like, oh, I'm just killing off women. Like people go through shit and everyone is bonkers. And I appreciate that. Did you see that thing I, I retweeted on Twitter today? Uh, basically, so David Lynch wrote a note to his mom, and it says, "Dear mom, dear mom, dot dot dot, and dad, please don't see the film Eraserhead, dot dot dot, and don't tell anyone I did." So he he sent that note to them before the movie was released, and I'm like, "God damn!" So I thought that was funny. But uh, back back to Gerwig. I, yeah. So I think she's one of the the best uh, working directors we have right now, and like top tier. And I I absolutely love what she does, and she's an automatic. Um, I will go see anything she she directs kind of uh, creator. So she's got kind of carte blanche, in my opinion, to to do no harm. And um, I, yeah, I love it. I think she's one of the greatest working directors we have right now. She's very talented. Yeah. She's done things in different genres that are all like, let, I, you know what? Let's see her make a bonkers genre piece. I would love to see that. because I want to so... see like a horror film. From I do her. too. I think she could do Fucking it. Fucking awesome. That'd I be so good. Kind of like a, I mean, Okay, I think she could do a very introspective horror for mm-hmm. sure. I want to see her do a balls to the walls creature feature. That would be something cool. that you just don't expect. Like I could totally see her, you know, doing a Babadook style, um, something very introspective, mm-hmm. dealing with emotions and things. But I want to see like a B movie creature feature. Oh, that'd be awesome! I would yep, love exactly. that. Okay, what's your hot take? Um, okay, I know I've I've come real hard for Marion. Um, I'm going to come hard for Larry right now. Oh, shit. Feckless. Do you say he, be- he feckless? Is feckless. Oh, feckless. He hmm. enables Marion's behavior. He, he, he knows that the way she treats Lady Bird is not okay and clearly agrees yeah. with it. But he doesn't actually do anything to mitigate what's going on. Helping Lady Bird go behind her mother's back. Great, but... 
who who does uh, who does Marion blame when she finds out? Not him. She blames her daughter, even though one is a child and mm. one is an adult man. He had so like it is his job to have stepped in mm-hmm. and say something. And there's a movie that I'll bring up, not because it has anything to do with this, but there there's a movie from 1971 called Girl Stroke Boy. It's British. Stroke is is British English for slash, so it means girl slash boy. It's kind of set up as a guest who's coming to dinner where this middle-class, academic, white British man is bringing home his girlfriend to meet his parents for the first time. She's from the West Indies. And you start with the parents, and they're, like, trying to prepare. They're like, oh, boy, she's a black woman. Well, we're educated academics. We are okay with this. Her parents are also, like, diplomats, so they're educated. Um, and then they show up, and the woman, the girlfriend is trans. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not the language that we had in 71, because it's 71, but she's a trans woman. And immediately the mother harps on this and and goes to these great extensively absurd insane lengths to prove that her son's girlfriend is a man mm-hmm. and the father instead of he battle literally battles against the mom and says to her i will defend our son and his right to love whomever he wants against anyone even if that means you, I will leave you to defend our son because what you are doing is wrong and you are traumatizing him and you are doing something harmful and hurtful. And Larry never, he's just like, well, you know, she's just, she's going through her own stuff. Yeah, but that's not how you, that's not okay. Yeah, he's trying to keep the peace between the two, but he needs to take, he needs to take a stand at a certain point. At a certain point, he needs to say, hey, the way you are treating our child Mm -hmm. is inappropriate. Mm-hmm. If you don't do, and this is where an ultimatum comes in. It comes in at you need to work on this. You need to go get help. You need to start seeing a therapist. You need to deal with your issues or else I will leave with our child. Yeah. Because you are traumatizing them and you are creating a toxic environment. But by enabling it, I am just as bad. Oh. And that's my hot take. Oh, Larry. And also my push for girl stroke boy. There you go. Girl, stroke, boy. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, letter grade for Ladybird. A minus. Respectable. I like it. Yeah, I mean, my issues with Marion and Larry don't make me think that this is a poorly crafted movie. I think that is accurate. Those are very accurate depictions. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just emotionally how it's hitting me. But that's yeah. not a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, also, um, and this this is an A for me. I think. Um, I think this movie is so wonderful and I think it's it's one that I could revisit multiple times and still just enjoy the hell out of it. Um, great, great performances pretty much from everybody. And uh, yeah, love the hell out of it. It's funny. It's heartwarming. It's it's anger induced <laughs> at times. It's triggering. Yes. It's all the things. But I love this movie. And uh, yeah, it's really funny, actually, the night after I watched this, my fiance and I actually watched Runaway Bride, which we'd oh, never gosh. seen. And all of a sudden, there's Laurie Metcalf. Yeah, yeah. In an uncredited role. Not like it's a small role. No. It's a big role, but she was not credited. Neither is Larry Wilson, who also mm-hmm. has a pretty big part. They were not credited. But we're watching it, and we're like, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Is this a double Laurie Metcalf day? 
Well, and I always think of Laurie Metcalf from Married with Children and Scream Two, and she plays Billy Loomis' yes, yes, mom. She does. I think. Yeah. Oh my god! It's uh, it's pretty ridiculous, but I think she's she's fantastic. Oh, she's I think an amazing she's actress, great yeah. actress. So, um, Amanda, what are you working on now, and where can we find you on the socials? I uh, doing deliverables for my feature. So, uh, deliverables fun. Deliverables like DoorDash. No, <laughs> just kidding. Like, <laughs> making sure all the legal files and the film files and the sound files and the closed caption files are uploaded and passed through QC. <laughs> yeah, that. Cool. Uh, no, which is great. I mean, it means we're coming out. It just, I'm ready to be through with deliverables. It takes oh, yeah. forever. <laughs> I don't blame you. Um, but so that, and then I am kind of in early development on a erotic creature feature horror movie hmm. um and i am on the socials at amanda jane stern on instagram twitter tiktok and facebook yeah Ooh. all the four big ones mm-hmm. great well i am on all of those as well except for tiktok i don't do tiktok but i am at zach dale 60 zach with an h and a z as opposed to? As opposed to a Q. I don't know, Z-A-Q. An X, um, maybe? There you go. No X. The X is silent. Uh, so anyways, everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter, Threads, Facebook, Instagram, at dbcrazypod, where you can share your thoughts, give us film suggestions, tell us if we're crazy, or just send funny memes. Make sure you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed. Additionally, we're also available on every other major podcast app. Thank you for listening, and until next time, don't be crazy.